this. Um, some of you love conspiracy theories. I don't know if we have any conspiracy theorists here this morning. I know that we do have a couple in our church. Um, I don't know if they're around, but anyway, here we go. Um, so, so here are some of our favorite conspiracy theories, right? Number one, moon landing didn't happen. We know that. It was done in a movie theater, or a, you know, done by Hollywood guys. Moon landing didn't happen. Staged by Hollywood. John F. Kennedy and Elvis are both still alive. They're living under assumed identities in a hotel somewhere. In fact, here's the groovy one. John F. Kennedy is actually Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yep, he's living his best life now. Uh, that's what he is. Believe it, it's true. Donald Trump really is the President of the United States of America. We know that. Uh, Hillary eats children for breakfast. We've heard that one too. Paul McCartney is dead. Paul McCartney died in 1966. They were having, and the Beatles were doing a recording, and he stepped out and got run over by a bus. In, instead of announcing to the world that Paul McCartney is dead, the Beatles, the remaining three, found a look-alike. And what's interesting, they also found a sound-alike. Um, and he became part of the Beatles. He is now, I mean, the guy that you think is Paul McCartney is not actually Paul McCartney. He's a wannabe. Um, birds aren't real. This I love. Birds aren't real. Bradley knows this. Birds are drones that have been created by the government to spy on you. There is no such thing as a bird. Birds are drones. Okay, that's kind of satire. But here's the thing, eh? The guy who started that, started that deliberately, and for four years went all over the place, adamant, I'm pretending, but adamant that birds are not real, that they are drones made by the government. And he did it to see, just or to prove, just how gullible... Our generation is, oh, whatever. Um, and thousands believed him. Birds are drones. Um, this was great. Wrap yourself in tinfoil in order to avoid 5G contamination. There was some guy in England who did that a while ago, completely wrapped in tinfoil. It keeps the 5G out, but it does give you a nice all-over tan. And, of course, we know that the lizard people apparently rule the world. <coughs> That's gen again, that's a genuine thing, all right? Lizard people. Anyway, um, the thing I think about uh, that appeals about conspiracy theories for, for some is that it gives you the sense of the insider and the outsider. And that I'm one of the insiders, I'm one of the ones, I'm one of the very few who really do know the truth. I know the secrets that society has covered up at large. And, and there is a, there's this whole psychology of what it is that appeals to certain people that makes them want to believe conspiracies and the conspiracy theories. Of course, it then gets awkward when it turns out the conspiracies are actually true and that Keith Richards really is John F. Kennedy. Um, conspiracies also tend to be done with small groups because it's secretive. Um, and um, anyway, I'm, I'm going to invite you today to join a conspiracy with me. The conspiracy I want to ask you to join is the Advent Conspiracy. So the Advent Conspiracy started about 15 years ago. Three guys in America, which is of course the place where all good conspiracies come from. Um, three guys in America decided that they had had enough of the crass consumer culture of Christmas. And they felt it was time to start a movement. 
Something small, something insidious perhaps, something that would perhaps even one day topple the prevailing narrative. The whole thing of why is it that the birth of Jesus must be wrapped up in materialism and Christmas wrapper and tinsel? Why is it that the birth of Jesus is all about consumerism and greed, the very things that Jesus stood against? And what would happen if we could undo that? What would happen if we could push back against this selfish, stuff-my-face, big prezies culture of Christmas? And so the Advent conspiracy was born. There's a PowerPoint. Let's start with that. Um, the conspiracy, uh, Advent conspiracy was born, and it revolves around four things. I'm just waiting for my PowerPoint to appear because it's got some groovy pictures. Um, it, it, it revolves around these four things, these four themes of Advent calendars and whatever, four themes, worship fully. There it is. Worship fully. Spend less. Give more. And love all. No, you've gone too far. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right, so worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And that's what the, what the Advent conspiracy is about. And now we're going to be very clever, and there's going to be a QR code that will appear on the screen. Um, I'm going to invite you all, and the rest of the church, to sign in to the Advent conspiracy webpage. You can either do it via your QR code right there. Isn't this clever? Look, look at these people who are just like, woohoo. If you don't know what a QR code is and how to do that on your clever phone, you can simply get home this afternoon and Google Advent Conspiracy. And to make it even easier, I will send it on our church WhatsApp group. And then sign into that Advent Conspiracy group. You'll need a, your name and a pa secret password. Oh. And you will find that you'll be able to go to resources and you'll be able to download all sorts of stuff. There are things for families to do. So family devotions, coloring in pictures, ideas of what to do with families. There are things to do for teenagers. If you're a teenage person, there's stuff to do for teens and how to, how to figure stuff out there. There's things for children's ministry. So if you're going to be helping at Blitz at Sunday School over the next couple of weeks, feel free to use some of these resources to do your, your Blitz class. One of the things that's on there is a daily devotional. I'm going to ask you all to download that devotional and to read a reading a day for 25 days. The only days that you get off is, is Sundays. So Sundays you don't need to read, Sundays you need to come to church. But every other day there is a reading, it's just a short reading, and even more exciting than just a short reading, I've got a sign-up sheet. And what I'd like is for 25 people to put their names down on 25 different days and for those 25 people to read the reading and send it to me as a voice note. And I'm going to post that voice note on our WhatsApp group so that you don't need to read the reading. You can listen to someone in the church read the reading for you. How cool is that, eh? Isn't technology something? So this will be at the back of the hall this morning with a pen, 25 names, put your name on a day and a date, remember what date you're doing, remember what number reading you're doing, send the voice note to me a day or two before, don't tell me you're doing reading one and send it to me next Friday, that's no good, right? 
I need reading one by tomorrow morning. So send that through to me. And we'll, so, so, so we're going all in to the Advent conspiracy this year. Join the conspiracy. Now, just to get a little bit more of a detail of what it's about, I'm going to ask that now Bradley be scary and play the video if he can find it for us. Thank you. Are you in? Yes. You're in. So I've just, what I've basically just done, and we'll get there later, is I've just given you the freedom to not spend money at the malls this year. Aren't you thrilled by that? Yes. Some of you aren't. Some of you are like, oh, I want my present. I want my present. So the cool thing about this as well, 
is that it also, to some extent, ties in with what we've been saying all year. I should have put it up there, my little picture, right? Uh, the, the four things that we do, love God, love each other, love our neighbors, love the world. There's a sense of a connection to all of this as well. Because this morning, the first thing is to worship fully, which is the first thing at the top of our picture that we're doing all year, that we're called to love God with all our hearts. We're called to worship Him. So, so I mean, this, this ties in really nicely with us. Now, the thing, I think, the thing about Christmas is that Christmas helps you figure out what you worship. Christmas helps you to figure out what you worship. And I know we're in church this morning, and so we're all going, oh, I worship Jesus. And yes, that's a good answer, and it's a good Christian church answer, but do we really? Do we really worship Jesus on Tuesday and Thursday, on Saturday night, and on Friday morning? See, we can tell what we worship by asking a few questions. Things like, questions like, what do we sacrifice for? What, we, what will we sacrifice in order to get, in order to have? We spend money on the things that we worship. We invest time in the things that we worship. We think about the things that we worship. What, what is the thought, what are the thoughts that most fill your minds? And the reality is that what we worship changes us. We worship our family, we worship our money, we worship our kids. What we worship changes us. And so just think about it for a moment. How many people on our planet will sacrifice their family for a couple of extra hours at the office? Elon Musk made that very clear in these last two weeks, didn't he, if you were paying attention to the news. He buys our Twitter, fires half the staff, and then says to the rest of them, if you're going to be part of this company, you need to be fully invested, you need to be fully in, I work 80 hours a week, don't see why you should work much less, I sleep at the office, so sign up if you're all in. And half of his staff said, we're out. We're not signing up for that. We're not going to sacrifice our mental health and our families for a blue tick. But there was the other half of the company that said, we're in. We're in. We'll sacrifice whatever we need for the sake of this company and this industry. And what you sacrifice, what you've sacrificed for, gives you an indication of what it is you truly love, what it is you really worship. We worship the things that will change us. We worship the things that we think will make us better. We worship the things that we think will give us what we think we need. We worship the things that we think will deliver us from the current hell that we're in. Whatever that hell might be. Poverty hell. Relationship hell. Boredom hell. Overweight hell. Emotional trauma hell. Whatever it is. And we'll find things to rescue us from those things. And those things become what we worship. And so to be honest, sometimes people say, Oh, you worship money. No, I don't think we worship money. I think we worship the things that money buys. We worship the comfort that money can bring. We, we, we worship the control that money allows us to have. We worship the, the security or the power. And, and, and we think that having these things will deliver us from our current hell. And the truth is, I think that those things just lead us deeper into our own personalized hell. And we end up, like they say, buried in debt. 
And so Christmas, Christmas is just like, let's buy lots of stuff. And let's give that stuff to the kids, because then the kids will be happy. And if the kids are happy, then I'll feel loved. Let's stuff our faces with turkey and cake, because that will bring us comfort. And besides, I deserve it, right? I've earned this. And so all this spending and the parties will give me days and days of happiness. And then Christmas arrives and Santa brings you underpants. <laughs> and it's just a bit disappointing, isn't it? Because it's not what you expected. I mean, as nice as a new pair of underpants are, and just, you know, how nicely they fit, but it's still, it's just... Or you stand on the remote control car that's only been going for 10 minutes. Beep, 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 woo, woo, woo. And it's like, did you stand on that deliberately? Um, and then it's 10th of January, and the tree comes down, and nothing has changed. Except your back balance. What if Advent is about something else? What if it's about worshipping something different? So this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, one of the early stories in the whole story of the advent of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 2 from verse 22. Sorry, from verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name that the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been complete, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Um, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, the child, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee 
to their ta own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, I've just realized in reading that, that I forgot to download a video. Greg, Bradley, any chance of sorting a video? <laughs> it is called Nunc Dimittis. <laughs> N-U-N-C-D-I-M-I-T-T-I-S by Mr. Paul Smith. If you can find that, good luck for the end of the service. Oh dear. Alright, so what, I'm gonna, what, what we want to see here this morning is that there are three, three little images of worship and what worship looks like right at the beginning. We've got Mary and Joseph, and then we've got Simeon, and we've got Anna. And Mary and Joseph point us, first of all, to the fact that worship, true worship, is sacrifice. A true worship is sacrifice. And I've said that already, right? That we sacrifice for what we worship. Some will sacrifice family for work. Some will sacrifice families for hobbies. Someone, some people will sacrifice liver for another bottle. But even in the small things, we sacrifice stuff. We sacrifice the little things that we think will bring us some measure of meaning, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Just recently, I've been sacrificing my waistline for chocolate. I have. Um, I'm not going to take my shirt off now, um, but I have. We'll sacrifice come Christmas. We'll sacrifice hard-earned cash to make the kids smile. We'll sacrifice the kids' smile in order to keep cash in the bank. Here's Mary and Joseph. And they bring a sacrifice to the temple. And what they bring is a couple of doves. And one of the things that that tells us is that they were poor. They were not wealthy people. The Old Testament says that at the birth of a child, you've got to bring a dove and you've got to bring a sheep. And if you can't bring a sheep, well, you can substitute the sheep for a dove. Mary and Joseph are poor. And yet in their poverty, they bring a sacrifice. And their sacrifice isn't just about a couple of birds on a fire. Their sacrifice costs. Because you can't just bring any two random old birds that you find outside. You would have had to buy your doves at the entrance to the temple because they had to be ceremonially clean, well-kept doves. And what that generally was is if you'd gone and caught a dove yourself in the square and you arrived with your dove, the priest would say, no, that dove's not good enough. Take your dove away, put it in a box and sell that dove to someone else and sell you a dove that he's just confiscated from someone else. Just, it's a money-making scam, right? But, but it's a consecrated dove, apparently. And so you pay money, so there's a cost. They've had to pay in order to offer a sacrifice to God. Now, I've got to say that I don't think that God is really after your money. Your wallet is safe this week. It might change next week, but this week at least, your wallet is safe. And I don't think that God is particularly interested in doves either. Although if you'd like to bring some pre-packed chicken to my house later this afternoon, I'll gladly put it on a fire. Um, but the sacrifice that God really wants is you. Remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where, where Paul says we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy, to present yourself as living sacrifices. 
Because this is your reasonable worship. God doesn't want your wallet, your doves, your sheep, your time. God wants you. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't just want 10 minutes of your morning tomorrow when you're still trying to you know, rub the sleep out of your eyes and slurping your coffee. God wants you. He wants all of you. All in for Him. And that comes at a sacrifice. That comes at a cost. I was tempted this morning, and then you'll be grateful that we didn't do it, but I was tempted for us this morning to sing the Hokey Pokey. Remember that song? <laughs> you put the left hand in, you put your left hand out, in, out, shake it. No, I've got the wrong way around. Anyway, shake it all about, right? Because we're a bit like that, I think, when it comes to our worship. We'll put a little bit in, and then we take it back. And then we put a little bit of this in, and then we take it back. Do you remember how the song ends? Put your whole self in, and shake it all about. We, God calls us to put our whole selves in. Why? Because Jesus put his whole self in. Here's how the sacrifice kind of plays out for Joseph and Mary and kind of what, it, what, it, what some of the implications behind it, right? There's, there's three things that they do in terms of their, their worship here this morning. Number one, there's covenant. It starts with Jesus being circumcised on the eighth day. And they do that because of tradition. They do that because, you know, it's something that's started longer. But, but the tradition started because of Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, let's make a covenant. Here's the deal. I'll bless you. I'll make a great family from you. And from you will come someone who will bless the whole world. So you're going to wait for that one descendant who's going to come. We're waiting for him. And to seal the deal and to show that you're all in circumcision. Oh, it comes at a bit of a cost. It's going to be a little bit painful, Abraham, but you and your descendants after you, circumcision, sign of the covenant. 2,000 years after that conversation, the descendant of Abraham, the one who will fulfill the terms of the covenant, is himself marked with the sign of the covenant. So Joseph and Mary come and worship because of the covenant. They come and worship because God has made a covenant. And the covenant is a promise of the coming Messiah. And you wonder, did they really fully understand who it was that they were holding? Were they completely clear in this reenactment of this ancient symbol of a covenant that the new covenant is about to be instituted? Through this child. And we worship because there is a new covenant. The second thing that happens within all of this is that it's not just that there is a covenant, but there is cleansing. This is a cleansing ritual. Uh, that, that was eight days after birth. Now, 40 days later, it's time to go back to the temple for a sacrifice of cleansing. It's a ceremony to perform a symbolic cleansing of mother and child. And that's where the bird sacrifice comes in. That's why they bring this bird. And part of the idea behind this seems to be that it's not just that this child will inherit blue eyes, curly hair, and stubbornness from mom and dad, but also that this child inherits 
a sinful nature from mom and dad. And that something needs to be done about the sinful nature. And that sinful nature will require blood sacrifice. And so a pigeon, a dove, is slaughtered, is killed. The cleansing blood of a substitute. And the reality is that, that every parent knows that the symbolic execution of a pigeon cannot wash away the sin and cannot deal even with the sinful nature born even in this one week old or sorry six week old baby now again how ironic is it that mary comes to the temple to be cleansed and to offer a sacrifice and worship but is in fact holding in her arms the one who will be sacrificed and will cleanse her. Who will cleanse not only her, but her people of their sin. And that the need for the sacrifice of a pigeon or a dove or a sheep will become a thing of the past. Worship is about cleansing and being cleansed. We cannot worship unless we are clean. We cannot be clean unless the sacrifice of Jesus has washed us clean. Thirdly, the last thing is it's about consecration. This little ceremony of Mary and Joseph is not just about uh, the, the covenant, and it's not just about cleansing, but it's also about consecration. The child is consecrated, is given, is offered back to God. And again, that's a tradition that goes all the way back to the ten plagues. And remember plague number 10 in Egypt where the angel of death passes over the houses and says, the firstborn child in every house is mine. And God says to the people of Israel, and if you want to buy your firstborn child back from me, then a sheep dies in its place. And you paint the walls of, or the doorways of your house with blood. And so the people of Israel buy back their children. And then when they get into the desert, God says, okay, this is how it's going to work from here on out. Just like it was in Egypt, from then on, every firstborn child is mine, but you can redeem your child. There is a cost to pay. There is a sacrifice on offer. You can offer, continue to offer a sheep. And if you're poor, you can offer a dove. And Mary and Joseph come to offer Jesus to God, to consecrate him to, to God, and then to, in a sense, redeem him, buy him back, back by the blood of a dove because they can't afford a sheep. And again, isn't it ironic that though they can't afford a sheep, they have with them the Lamb of God who will buy back His people, who will buy them back from death, who will bring them to life. The very one that they're bringing to God, to consecrate to God, to redeem from God, is the one who will redeem His people and who will consecrate us and set us apart for Him. Worship is about covenant. We're in a new covenant with God. Worship is about cleansing. We worship Him only because we have been cleansed. Worship is about consecration, about being surrendered and given fully to Him. And we can only be that because we have been redeemed by the Lamb Himself. Worship is about sacrifice. 
Secondly, you get the story of Simeon. And worship with Simeon is not just about sacrifice, but worship is now also about the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, or through the Spirit. So, so Mary and Joseph have finished some of the things that they're doing. They're, they're about to come out, I think, and they meet Simeon. And three times in two verses, Luke tells us that the Spirit was upon him, that the Spirit had spoken and revealed something to him, that the Spirit brought him to Mary and Joseph. Simeon is all about the Spirit of God. Have you ever heard people say that you need to get into the Spirit of Christmas? I mean, we hear that often, right? We need to get into the Spirit of Christmas. And what that means is you need to get festive. You need to pull in that nasty jersey that you aren't knitted you with one arm that's longer than the other. And with the reindeer that doesn't quite, you know, off-center. You've got to string lights all over your house. You've got to be jolly, right? You've got to get into the festive spirit. I think Simeon has the right understanding of the Christmas spirit. You may remember Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman has questions for Jesus about worship. About where to worship. Can we worship in this mountain or should we be worshiping over there in that mountain? And Jesus says to her, worship is not so much about where. You can worship on this mountain or that mountain. You can worship in a cathedral. You can worship under a tree. You can worship in a school hall. You can worship in a kitchen, in a car. What's important is not where, but how. How you worship. And you remember that Jesus says to that woman that God is looking for worshippers who will worship him in spirit and truth. So there are those two things going there, right? Worship, first of all, has something to do with truth. Worship has something to do with what is true. It's no good to say, I worship Jesus, but have no knowledge about who he actually is and what he's about. It's no good saying, I worship Jesus, but then to create a Jesus in your image and likeness. Worship is to do with the pursuit of truth. Worship is to do with something that you do with your head. It's exploring the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. Worship is to do with truth. But worship also has to do with spirit. It can't just be about your head. It's not just about thinking right thoughts and understanding the truth of Jesus. Worship has to do with spirit and the spirit true. Our worship is by and through the Spirit. John Piper writes this. He says, True worship comes not only from spirits made alive and sensitive. Sorry, try that again. True worship comes only from our spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brings life in us so that we can worship. Without the Spirit of God, we cannot worship. God's Spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. And it becomes an affair of the heart and affair of the mind. Strong affection, strong emotion, strong love for God is rooted in truth. Worship must be vital and real in the heart, and worship must rest in the true perception of God. There must be spirit, and there must be truth. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy, and churches full of artificial admirers. But on the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. 
But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional, who love deeply, and who love sound doctrine, and who love truth. And so God forbid that we should ever find ourselves as a church failing to worship God both in spirit and in truth. Genuine Christ-exalting worship is both. It is the fruit of heat and light. The light of truth shines into our minds and instructs us who God is. And light ignites the fire of passion and affection in the heat of joy, love, gratitude, and deep soul satisfaction. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit of God is leading Simeon here into truth and that he's able to sing in response to the truth of who God is. And he speaks about the sovereign Lord who fulfills his promises. Who, uh, he speaks about God's salvation, about the revelation, light to the Gentiles, hope for and glory for the people of Israel. And it leads to the song that he's got here, which in Latin is Nunc Dimittis. We're not going to play it yet. Hold that thought. Thank you for finding it. Did you find it? Awesome. Um, so we'll, we'll catch up with that later. Nunc Dimittis is just Latin for the very first two words of that song, Now Dismiss. And, and Simeon, driven by the Spirit, comes to Jesus and worships. Don't just get into the Christmas spirit that leads to worshipping materialism and selfishness and consumption and greed and more and more and more. Encounter the true Christmas spirit and worship God in spirit and in truth. So, worship is about sacrifice. Worship is through the spirit. But Mary and Joseph, as they're leaving the temple, encounter one more person. They encounter Anna and they discover worship through service. Anna is a widow, and she's been a widow for probably 60 years. And in all that time, Luke tells us that she has never left the temple. Now, it may be that she's actually set up a home in the temple somewhere, in the temple pre pre precepts. I'm not sure where. Uh, it may be that she actually does go home to sleep at night, but spends every waking moment in the temple courts. And she's spending her time there in worship. So... She's a widow. There's a loneliness to that. Widows, in, in, back in those days, we know, were, were kind of on the edge of society. There's no social structure to hold on to them. If you have sons, they'll look after you. If you don't, you're in trouble. So Anna is alone. Here's the other thing that Luke tells us about Anna. She's from the tribe of Asher. Now, the tribe of Asher is one of the ten tribes that got dispersed 500, 600 years, 700 years earlier by the Assyrians. Now, this will lead us into all sorts of conspiracy theories, for those of you who are into it. Um, but the Assyrians, Israel has a civil war. They divide themselves into two countries. In the south, you have Judea with two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, I think. And in the north, you've got the other ten tribes, and the Assyrians arrive in the north, and they wipe out the north, and they scatter those tribes. And those tribes are largely, they spread all over the globe, and they're absorbed into the cultures of the people of the world. A few of them are left behind, and that becomes Samaria, and the Samaritans. And what the Assyrians do is they don't just take the tribes and scatter them, but they bring tribes from other nations and bring them to Samaria. And the tribes, the people that are left, intermarry with those, and the tribes 
those ten tribes are lost. Now, if you're into conspiracies, they become the Celts who march over to Britain, and then they become those faithful British who leave and go to America. And America is, of course, the land of God's chosen people, if you're into conspiracies. If you're just into truth, that's a lie. Um, so this lady, though, still has some attachment to a tribe that was lost 700 years ago. And what that kind of means, here's the thing, right? Is that there is no real identity for the people of Asher. They don't have a land that belongs to them. There's barely even a tribe by that name anymore. There are a handful of people perhaps who can connect themselves to the tribe of Asher in these days. This is a lady who has lost all sense of identity and of who she is. So she's lonely. She has no clear sense of identity. But what has she been doing? She's devoted the last 60 years of her life to service in the temple. She served in the temple courts for 60 years. She has prayed, she has fasted, she has worshipped. She has given herself to the Lord completely. And she has found her identity in that. She has found her identity not in her nation, not in her people, not in her tribe, but in her God and in His presence. She has dealt with her loneliness not by being all sad and alone, but by living a life of worship before God. She has given herself, her service, to Him. And it's just this question again of what have you served for the last year? What is the thing that you've served? For the last 10 years? The last 50 years? We could make a list. You do remember, of course, that Jesus says you can't serve two masters you love one and hate the other but you can't serve them both and we worship what we serve and you know what masters you what are you serving what are you giving your time to where will you be found as you seek identity will you spend your days in the mall <laughs> fasting <laughs> praying oh lord help me find it Worshipping in the malls. Advent conspiracy starts with a challenge to what we worship. It's a call to worship faithfully. That's the first call of the Advent conspiracy. To worship faithfully, to worship truly, to, to realize and realign once again what it is that we worship. That we're worshipping Jesus Worshipping not just the baby in a manger, but Jesus who, who goes on to live the perfect life and dies on the cross for us. Join the conspiracy. Realign your worship. Now we're going to try, I, I hope it works because forgive me for failing, but I'm trusting the guys and Dan. They all got it together here, I'm sure. But we're going to try something a little different. We're not going to end with a song this morning. We're going to end with Latin chanting. Okay, is that what you found? I don't know. I hope it is. We're gonna. This is this is the song of Simeon, right? Um, and and it's weird. None of you speak Latin, but allow the the sense of what's going on here to wash over us. You can follow Simeon's song because it's 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 these words just in Latin, and let's just. I don't know. Here's something different. 
this morning.
Won't you stand? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss us in peace. For we, O Lord, have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory to your people Israel. Praise be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stay for a cup of tea.